Well, uh, not sure if you had a chance to watch the video that was posted on our YouTube channel. And you can access that also through our Facebook page. But uh, that was intended to kind of set the stage for what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Because after all, it is Palm Sunday. And if you weren't sure that it's Palm Sunday, well, we have a visual aid for you. So we, we have a palm tree just to remind you that it is indeed Palm Sunday. And so next week uh, we will have our Easter celebration. And it will be uh, an Easter like no other in that we cannot be together. Uh, normally houses of worship uh, all across our land uh, are swelling on Easter Sunday. That we have, uh, for a lot of congregations, ours included, it's, it's one of our largest audiences of the year, uh, if not the largest. And so uh, it will be it will be disappointing in some ways, but certainly what we are doing is necessary under in the in the situation that we're in, in the times that we're in. In John 12, uh, beginning with verse 12, this uh, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. This is known as the triumphal entry, and this is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And that, that alone should signify to us just how important this event is. And Jesus arriving uh, in Jerusalem uh, during uh, uh, you know, four, in, in the days prior to the Passover. And so the crowds in Jerusalem would be larger than usual. Just as we talk about us on Easter Sunday having a larger than usual crowd, the city of Jerusalem uh, was well, well more than its usual size. Uh, biblical scholars estimate that the the uh, population of Jerusalem, you know, might have been somewhere around fifty thousand people at this time, and that during Passover it was well more than double that size. And so, uh, even by today's standards, uh, a decent sized city. And so, begin here in, in John 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, uh, we, we see that, that, that they're laying palm branches down. And uh, the palms uh, had come to uh, symbolize uh, nationalism, for Israel. And so if you can imagine a parade, uh, say a 4th of July parade, and what are people in the crowd likely to be waving if they've got something in their hand? You know, those small American flags. And so you imagine uh, a parade and people are lining the streets on either side and they're waving their flags. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a national holiday. 
uh, patriotism, national pride is at its height on that, on that Independence Day holiday. And that's what is going on right now. And that's a problem. Because when the people here are shouting Hosanna, uh, Hosanna is an Aramaic term that means, you know, save us. And so they are they're going out to greet him, much the way uh, a, a group of people in a city would go out to greet a king who was returning to the city after a triumph in battle. I'm reading a book right now called The Storm Before the Storm, and its subtitle is The Beginning of the End of the Roman Republic. And it is a long and tedious book. It was uh, the, the information in this book is more dense than what I expected when I began reading it. But I'm at the point now where I've, I've invested this much time, I'm going to finish it. I'm, I'm down to the last uh, few chapters, I think. But if I've been reminded of anything uh, about the Roman Republic, uh, besides the amount of bloodshed and besides the amount of uh, vengeful killing that went on among its leaders, but these people uh, liked a good parade. And they knew how to uh, they knew to, how to have a victory celebration, and so uh, we have to understand that first century Palestine is on the eastern end of the Roman Empire at this time, in the early part of the first century A.D. And so, and so uh, the the people have seen their share of victory celebrations, or at least have have heard of them. And so, and so Jesus kind of knows what's going to be going on. He's already been, been among crowds the previous day, and so now here he makes his way in from Bethany. And, and so you've got these, these swollen crowds, and they're coming out to, to greet him, it, it says. And so we get that, that impression that they are like a group of people who is longing for something. And so when they first say, you know, Hosanna, which means save us now, then, then the next thing they say is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that was a standard greeting for pilgrims who were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. As somebody would, you know, enter the town, the people would see them and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, what they've initially said here, Hosanna, and blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord, that's not going to upset anybody. But what John tells us that they say next is really problematic. When they say, blessed is the king of Israel. Now that's a problem. That's a problem for a lot of different people. It's certainly a problem for the Jewish leaders, and so at this point, uh, at, at this point, uh, if Jesus didn't already have the attention of the Jewish leaders, he certainly has it now, because the people are welcoming Jesus in such a way that would make them incredibly uncomfortable. But as our 
as our pre-Palm Sunday video uh, uh, reminds us of, is that uh, the, the people weren't looking at, at Jesus as a religious savior at this point. But they're looking to him as one who would liberate them from Rome. And so that is a, is a tremendous misunderstanding of who Jesus was. He expects that to some degree. And so that is why he, he gets on the colt of a donkey. Uh, you know, the Romans would have likely ridden in on a very regal looking horse. And uh, Jesus is not doing that. He takes the, the tack of humility and he is coming into town on a donkey. I also want us to look now at, uh, at John 13, uh, beginning with verse 2. Continuation of our scripture reading from earlier this morning. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. Now, the Passover meal, John tells us, is already in progress. And so when Jesus does this, gets up from the table and then wraps this towel around his waist and fills this basin with water and begins washing their feet, he's actually really interrupting the meal that's already in the process of being served. And so... Uh, he, he goes around and he's washing their feet. Now, we know because many of us, if you've been in church any length of time, you've, you've read this, you've heard it discussed, you've heard it preached numerous times. And uh, we understand why feet washing in their society uh, was necessary because of the kind of roads they walked on, because of their their footwear of choice at that time, their feet were going to get dirty. Let's face it, their feet were going to get kind of nasty. And so, especially gathering for a special meal, you know, washing people's feet would have been commonplace in the first century. The difference, the, the thing that's going on here that we have to realize is it wasn't commonplace for the person who is at the head of the table to be doing this. That it was commonplace for a slave. But it was considered so menial that even Jewish slaves would not typically have participated in this task, would not have performed this task. That it was only, it was left for Gentile slaves. Imagine being in your house, and if you're like me, I've swept the kitchen floor more times than I can possibly ever count. Uh, any of us who have ever lived in a house or an apartment have probably carried out that task at one time or another. So somebody who lives in the house 
sweeping the kitchen floor, no big deal. Happens all the time, right? You've got dust in the kitchen floor. Uh, in our case, if you have a, a pet in the house, sometimes there's some some animal hair that you got to sweep up that goes along with that. That's part of having, having a, a dog or a cat in the house. But imagine if you're at your house and there's a knock on the door and you open the door and it's the Queen of England. And the Queen of England has now comes, comes into your house, okay? You're appalled by the fact that the Queen is in your house, okay? That, that, that's, that, that's amazing in its own right. But then the fact that the Queen says, hey, uh, you know, I'd like to serve you. Uh, where would I find a broom and a dustpan? And you're like, no. You know, first of all, it'd be embarrassing to see how much the Queen of England might sweep up out of your floor, right? But the fact that the Queen of England, of all people, has, has flown to your country, has traveled to your house, has knocked on your door, and says, surprise, I'm here to sweep your kitchen floor. Now, that to us just seems so outlandish that it's just laughable. Why? Because not in a million years would it ever actually happen. So when the disciples are seeing their master do this, their teacher, the one that they have been following lockstep for roughly three years, and when he gets up to perform this task that not even a Jewish slave would typically perform. They are absolutely flabbergasted at this. And the other disciples seem to be content with allowing Jesus to do this, but he gets to Peter. And Peter says, no, you can't do this. And he says, I have to. Unless you do this, you know, unless you let me do this, you know, you can have no part with me. And I don't think it's a stretch here to think about this in terms of baptism. Because if we're going to be followers of Jesus today, if we're going to be His disciples today, without baptism, we can have no part with Him. And so... Uh, when we think about what Jesus is doing here, uh, these are acts of humility. He comes into Jerusalem, greeted by the crowds. It's an attention-grabbing event. It's a significant event. And he does it on a donkey. It's an act of humility. And then, during the Passover meal, gets up, puts the towel around his waist, and begins washing the feet of his followers. It's another act of humility. And then we arrive at John chapter 19. Beginning with verse 28. Later, 
knowing that evening had now finished. That, excuse me. Later, knowing that everything had now finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, John's gospel is a little different than that of what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They give us a lot of details about the pain and the suffering on the cross. John gives more information than what I've just shared just now in verses 28 through 30 of John 19. But John uh, paints a, a little different picture in that of, of Jesus' crucifixion. One thing that's interesting here to me is that the, what they give him to drink is uh, it's not it's not it, it's noted here as wine vinegar. It's not the good wine. And if we look toward the beginning of Jesus' gospel, of, excuse me, of John's gospel about Jesus, but we find that Jesus performs his first miraculous sign in John's gospel at a wedding in a place called Cana. And they've run out of wine, and so Jesus' mother Mary gets Jesus involved. He's reluctant to do so, but she looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do, knowing that, okay, I know he can fix this. He can save this family from this social embarrassment. And understand, weddings at this time wasn't something that you would get invited to. It was a village-wide celebration. And so, and so we know that when Jesus takes water and turns it into wine, that, that he has turned it into wine that is to be celebrated. That the host of the banquet is approached and said, wow, you saved the very best wine for last. Most people don't do that. And so we know that what Jesus gave them was better than what they had previously been served. And so Jesus gives the best that anybody has seen, the best that anybody has experienced. And what does the world give Jesus in return? that which is hardly even fit to drink. And so, in this moment, Jesus gives up His Spirit, and where is He? He's on the cross. Now, crosses were used as, uh, as a crucifixion device, as a, as a uh, way of carrying out a death sentence long before the Romans came into power. Crosses were used by the Persians and the Assyrians uh, many, many years uh, before this time. So a crucifixion death was nothing new for someone who was thought 
to deserve uh, this type of death. It was a humiliating death. It's important to know that they didn't kill Jesus. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for you, for me, for all of humanity. And so we see here three acts of humility by Jesus in the final week leading up to his sacrificial death. That on the donkey, that of the towel, and that of the cross. And so in each of these cases, uh, you know, there could be, there could have been something so much more grand. The entrance could have been on something else, but it was on a donkey, and it was on the colt of a donkey. Uh, the, the special meal could have been different, but the feet were washed by the one that was hosting the meal. And then the sacrificial death, it might have looked different, but Jesus allowed them to put him on a cross outside of the city gates and to die a criminal's death, a criminal's execution. But if you know the rest of the story, you know why next week is called Triumph Part 2. Next Sunday is coming. And I look forward, even though it's under what we still might consider odd circumstances, unique circumstances, uh, next Sunday will still come. And we will still celebrate. We will celebrate a Savior who didn't stay dead. And for that, I am so grateful. May the peace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.